Uh, so yeah, I've been like, uh, you know, playing board games since I was a kid. Um, I, I used to like invent silly board games with my friends. We actually like designed, um, like we would take poster board and like draw pieces out and like make boards and stuff. And um, I, I think like creating games has always been a hobby that just for fun. Uh, and I, I've actually designed and playtested extensively a card game called Robot Factory. I made it for my son when he was oh, no um, four or five. Yeah, I, it was like, it was a limited release published, like literally like 10, 10 copies. Um, I keep meaning to like go back and I have the artwork repolished and uh, I, I need to just do it. I just haven't had time, but I keep saying that every year and it's been like a long time now. <laughs> Um, but I am officially a published uh, game author. I have, uh, as of this year, um, this is my book. There's there's my name at the bottom. This is super Cheers. exciting. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is an honor to be a part of this project. Uh, and like, I swear I almost cried when I saw like the physical copy with like my name on the bottom. And, yeah. It's time for an adventure in the worlds of user experience and game design. On season three of the Design Thinking Games podcast, join old school UXers and aspiring game designers, Michael Schofield, Tim Broadwater, and an array of quirky characters from pixelated heroes to mischievous NPCs in search of the ultimate player experience. Design thinking is a process that is applied to different types of games in this podcast. If you're wondering whether your favorite games have already come up, you can listen through the backlog at designthinkinggames.com. Now, Rapid Protobot, fire the design thinking laser. So the, the TTRPG system is called Stillfleet. And then um, my, this is a like, uh, it's like an expanse. It's a, like a setting book called The Rain Thieves. Nice. Um, it's both a setting and also like a venture. Like, so it's a, a campaign module, but there's also like a ton of open ended content. And like a GM could totally go and just roll their own stuff from this. Um, there's a lot of like untapped stuff. I, I have all these ideas that I really want to write, but um, Wythe, the creator and lead designer, was like, you're like, no, we gotta, we gotta stay in scope. <laughs> we have to be able to ship this. <laughs> so, <laughs> next time. <laughs> well, you already kind of like, uh, like, sort of like dovetailed into. Um, was honestly the reason we asked you on? We asked you on just because of like history, but. When I hit you up, then you kind of just like like just launched at me like this oh, laundry yeah. list of like projects that you've been into. And so we <laughs> asked you here to really kind of like explore your experience kind of being part of this whole mm-hmm. whirlwind around what looks like it's a super original, super deep, like really, like really successfully kickstarted uh, TTRPG called yeah. Stillfleet. Yeah. Um, you wrote that book, The Rain Thieves. Yes. Um, you built app supplements um, for Stillfleet mm-hmm. and other things. Um, I think I even saw in your poly work that you mm-hmm. are also illustrating some of the architects <laughs> there. So, so yeah. I want to know like where, total creative control. <laughs> where does this like start? What is this? Story? Oh my god! All right, so um, I'm going to rewind back like several years. So like uh, Wythe Marshall is the lead designer and. Um, creator of Stillfleet. This is like his baby. And he has all of these, like, you know, journal, was it like A5? Like, yay big. Um, all these, like, books that are just, like, top to bottom, corner to corner, covered with, like, roll tables and descriptions and maps and other things. Every single page. Tables. Yes. I would say it's like a madman's notebook, but that's not very charitable to him because he's not a madman. He's just really passionate about the source material. And um, like I've seen a couple of them and they're, just, they're incredible. And he hasn't even like fully copied all of this content over. However, one of the areas was this one setting, which he called like a love letter to Dune by Frank Herbert. Um, and the setting is called Radinar. And it's like, uh, it's a small like planet. And there is like just a small segment of this planet that was like settled, you know, uh, long before present in the game. 
Um, and then it was then resettled later on. So there's kind of like two different cultures there. And in the source material, um, in the core rule book originally, there was maybe two or three pages that he had written, which covered like a description of the setting, some of the NPCs you might find, some of the like creatures and xenofauna, and then um, just some like random little bits of trivia, almost like a little mini tour guide of the setting. And he had a map that he had drawn out on a piece of eight and a half by 11 with highlighter. And so I read the content and I don't know what it was, but I just had this idea. And then I just started like, I wonder, I wonder what this would look like. And I started writing it out, got up to like 30 or 40 pages and I shared it with him. And he's like, let's, let's keep running with this. And uh, the book is printed. I think it's like a hundred pages. Um, so we like way overshot. <laughs> <laughs> the original goal <laughs> but yeah. for, for the better though um but the the map that he did uh i took the map i scanned it into my computer i imported it into photoshop and then i, I did uh, first i did a digitizing pass to just kind of get the outlines and then i went back through and i started adding detail um i have a fully vectorized version there's actually a screencast that i think is on my polywork of me just like it's like eight hours i'm not even exaggerating it's like eight hours long of me yeah just i think like, i saw it there yeah <laughs> just like just chilling back listening to tunes and just drawing vector curves to get the contours on this um and the so the reason why though was because the process of creating the map informed some of the features of the setting itself like you know how long does it take to go across the canyon how long does it take to go into the yeah. particular desert what would the mountains do how would it affect the climate if the winds are blowing in from the east or the west like all these different decisions that because like, what i wanted to avoid was um someone playing and being like well that's weird why would there be things here because obviously like the sun would be super hot or something um so i i felt like the map had to kind of be co-developed with the content and the material um and the the original idea that i had uh was I think it was like this idea of just placing like locator beacons on these like key strategic resources. Um, this it's like this xenofungus called Sevavar that um, filters like toxic water into potable water. Um, and so you can imagine on like a desert planet, any water that is potable is like gold, right? right? Um, and so the people who are living there depend on this just to be able to survive. They're not like thriving or anything. This is just what they need to live. And the company that you, the player, work for are, um, uh, metagame-wise, they're like inspired deeply by the Dutch East India Trading Company. There's a lot of like throwback to like to the Dutch language and everything. Um, so your employer is like hyper-capitalist and colonial and they're like oh hey we heard this xenofungus might be useful uh and we could use it to help populate and remediate water on other planets uh let's go and like go get us some samples so we can analyze it um but the there's then this whole moral decision for the players have to make is like by sampling it we could greatly disrupt the ecology and the survival of these people. And so it becomes an ethical decision of like, do we do the work that our employer wants us to do? Or do we like, like not kill these people who did nothing wrong other than just existing? Um, so I, this is a heavy tangent, sorry. It, but there's just like a lot of, all these different pieces kind of individually developed all at the same time. Um, so like the map, the story, uh, the setting itself, um, all of them, the, the monsters even, or the, sorry, the xenofauna, they're not monsters because there's actually a colony of intelligent spiders. Like they are like human level intelligence and they have this like really elaborate um, web city. And there's content in the book that specifically addresses um, the, the traditional D&D player I'm gonna ask you, you're playing a DD campaign, you walk into like a big cavern full of spider webs, what's the first thing you're gonna do? Burn it down. It's not on fire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if the players try to do any kind of as a spoiler alert, I guess, any kind of conflagration, there are consequences. 
and I'm not going to spoil what the consequences are, but like it's big because you just totally jacked up like another, like an actual civilization for no reason. I mean, yeah, they'll eat you. They'll totally eat you. If you hang out there, like they will capture you and then, you know, desiccate your bodies because that's what they do. But they're not evil. They're just like, I don't know, like humans eat animals. So why can't Xeno spiders? <laughs> So as this like so as like Stillfleet is like was Stillfleet like developed like first or was like the yeah yeah like, the, okay so like so Stillfleet had already been developed but like your book is like like part of that like original like Kickstarter or kind of like around that time like what like what happened to bring like all of this like together um, and I don't know like like was it. Um, the way you describe it is it feels fairly organic and creative. It's like, I'm going to do this. And then ah, I see, I see like an emergent property over here. Now I'm going to go tackle this. How did this all come to like, from your perspective, how did this all kind of like arrange itself into um, like something that any like game designer would ever wish for like this $46,000 kickstart. Yeah. Like it was very successful. <laughs> um, I, look, the success of the Kickstarter is I'm going to say like almost entirely, if not entirely like wife's effort over the years. Like he has, this has been like his like intellectual thought baby. Um, he and the rest of the team, Ethan and Eric and Steven and Gay and um, Ben and everyone else. They've been working on this for 10 years, 10 or 11 years. Um, and wow, it's it got a, it got a lot of uh, kind of a spotlight with the Fun City Ventures podcast. They did a year where they played the game with the, the series is called Float City. Fantastic. Just narratively beautiful. Um, and it, it really showcases the whole system in such a like a delightful and playful way but also like there's parts of it that are feel almost like film noir kind of um, yeah. like oh no wait maybe we're the bad guys kind of thing that's really cool did it come out like before anyone anyone outside of that group could even ever play or see anything from like the game i think it definitely gave it a big spotlight boost for sure um gotcha. it was very helpful promotionally uh, i I know that um, Wythe had been marketing it and playtesting it for a long time before that, and there was a following. Um, Fun City definitely helped. Uh, that, that's how I found out about it. Can you hear me? Good to have you back with us. I hope you don't mind that I am recording for investigative notes. It's a wax cylinder, the only thing we've found that can pick up the voices of people in your condition. My name is Owen Von Sid. I am a reclaimer. Do you know what that means? No? Well, I am sorry to inform you that you didn't make it. Please try to remain calm. The worst is over. Nothing can hurt you, not ever again. But the thing that did this to you, it is still out there. That is what we do. I wake unfortunate souls, such as yourself, hear their stories. Then my associates and I see to it that whoever or whatever did this to you is dealt with. Now, let's begin. When you are ready, tell me, how did you die? Ghost Wax is an anthology horror podcast from Far and Tall Tales Productions. New episodes releasing weekly. Look for us wherever you get your podcasts. digital tooling that I made is called strings. And so the name strings comes from the Patreon post that Wythe writes periodically called strings. And it's just random tables, uh, you strings as in like you're knitting these together, together as yarn yeah. or whatever to make a fabric. Um, 
And so the idea that I had was, huh, well, what if I took some of these tables and then made a web application to like roll them for you? And then you just, every time you refresh the page, you get fresh results. And then I can, you know, do some little bit of CSS or something to make it look nice and add some flavor to it and everything. Um, so I did a prototype and I took a few of the tables that he had made up and I threw them into this engine. And so rewinding again, there was a different tool that I made up for D&D with a campaign I did with my kids where it was entirely off the cuff. It was completely improvised. And so basically my kids would make a decision what they would do with their characters. And then I would uh, roll something on the spot. The DMG has all these great tables for like, oh, the settlement looks like this. It has these things. There's some conflicts or an NPC generator or whatever. So I wrote a some Ruby scripts to take those tables and then um, I have a special format that and it parses that format of table and then gives you back the results and it's all command line driven. So I took the the, the bones of that, put it into a Rails application and then it did the tables as the still fleet tables from strings and that became the prototype of the strings application. White saw it and liked it enough that he thought it could be useful for like the game at large. So I then I went back and kind of reskinned it to make it fit better with the brand. Um, and then we created the, the random character generator. It's called Recruiter. Um, I have the like character mancer type tooling. If you ever used uh, Roll20, it's the step-by-step like uh, yeah, what class yeah. do you want? What species do you want? Um, that one's called Interviewer. And that one is, I'm really excited about. It's like halfway done. So I'm hoping like in a couple of months it'll be launched. Um, so that's in progress. Uh, but yeah, the, the digital strings tooling came around kind of, that was sort of how I first connected with the project as a whole. And then the writing content kind of came after that. And it was like right in the middle of Wythe and the rest of the team um, taking this massive, and I'm not even exaggerating, 500 to 600 page volume. And then realizing we should split this, split this into two books. The, the last year, year and some was taking that initial volume and then breaking it up into two pieces and then getting this one released and when he was planning on releasing this one he had the idea of like okay well this venture uh, the rain thieves i had been working on that for a while and he was like hey how would you feel about this being like a stretch goal for the kickstarter campaign and i was like hell yeah holy shit <laughs> and so it was honestly it was just incredible luck and it was being in the right place at the right time. Um, but the success, of the Kickstarter hundred percent, that's like it's wife and all of his effort over the years. I just happened to be lucky enough to be a part of it. So there, so you, you became a fan and mm -hmm. then you saw that, Hey, this dude was writing some tables that you could like pull out of a, you could, you could do manually. You could roll on your own and you being like a Rubyist, were like, hell yeah. Like, like I'm going to, I'm going to turn this into something just totally like as a fan. And then the core team was like, this is amazing. And then at some point they discovered that you did your own game design, that you were capable of writing like a campaign module. Um, yeah. I want to know more about that. Like how did, how did that kind of, <laughs> so you said that you did a card game, you know, for, uh, robot factory I, i'm just kind of wondering what else have you done before then or what did you in the still fleet discord we had we were talking about um just board game ideas just like silly board game ideas that could be still fleet related and one of them an idea that i had and i have a few different ones but i'm going to conveniently say that right now my favorite game is wards of Waterdeep. um it's a good one. what an excellent game yeah <laughs> it is a very good game <laughs> but it is a great game and it's one of my favorites for sure uh, but I was imagining Lords of Waterdeep but set in the Stillfleet universe um, and the idea is like you are you're playing as a boss or in the in the Stillfleet vernacular mm -hmm. it's called a refactor and you're just sending out the the void miners the which would like the the adventurers um you're sending that them out on jobs um but you as the you're the player you're the just the boss sending people out to do your work for you um and the the working title of the game is called malinger and the idea is that you're serving 
it's just the the self-serving interests of yourself as the refactor, the company who's employing you and wants you to produce profit for them. But like, you can also secure some profit for yourself, like enrich yourself in the process. And then the void miners you're hiring who each have their own, um, their own loyalties to their own factions individually and themselves. And so everyone is trying to screw everyone else over for their own gain. Um, it's great. So, like, the idea was just, like, a little zygote of an idea. And he and I were talking about it, and then I was, like, I don't know, we had a couple calls. We did a couple live streams where he and I and um, our artist, Ethan, um, the, the three of us, we just kind of chat about it, and we'd sketch out some ideas and talk about, like, what the game flow might be like. And I made up a prototype, and I, I drove out to Queens one time, and, like, uh, the three of us and Steven, our editor, um, we like played the prototype and honestly like it was kind of fun it was it was cool um and so i i think maybe that was when i, I don't know i guess i maybe got some like brownie points as uh, someone yeah. who knows about games i think he called yeah. me in one of the patreon posts he called me like game expert Aaron, and i was like <laughs> <laughs> i don't know about that <laughs> how about enthusiast <laughs> So was I'm curious about um, you can't get a copy of Robot Factory. Was it? Is there anything about it online that you can find? Oh, no, okay, no. It was. I mean, it was really. I, I literally made the game for my son for Christmas one year. But I mean, I've play tested it with a bunch of uh, strangers and friends and family. Uh, I probably put in 100, 200 hours of play testing in it. Oh my god! Oh wow! <laughs> like it's playable and it's fun and honestly like it's appeals to a lot of ages and my idea behind it was that i, I was tired of games like candyland and snakes and ladders and they're just moving around yeah yeah random yeah the point is to teach kids to take turns that's the whole point of those games and kids deserve so much better because kids are smarter than any of us give them credit for and so this game uses um, I think it's called a Winchester draft. It's where you like you deal out one card into multiple piles and then you pick one of the piles and you take all the cards in the pile. Uh, and then the oh, cards that yeah. remain, you keep adding additional cards. And so eventually like the shitty pile becomes better just by virtue of having more cards in it. Um, mm. And I played it with you know my son, I think he was three or four at the time. He picked it up right away. And I had a coworker, I sent him a copy. He played it with his kids who were around the same age and they figured it out right away too. Kids are smart. You need a, it's time for a second edition. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, maybe, you know. maybe this summer. I'll have some time this summer. I need I need to do it. I just need to bite down and just get the thing kids published again. Kids are very, very popular. And mm -hmm. if you go to um, any of these game cons, like Gen Con or PAX Unplugged or uh, Origins, you know, mm -hmm. There's a lot of families who go, and a lot of them are looking for, um, hey, my kid's actually a very smart kid, but I still want a kid-friendly kind of game or mm -hmm. something. Um, so I see a lot of single parents um, or families mm -hmm. uh, with kids playing through those. Um, <laughs> and I've always been told that the test indicator is that if an old person can teach it to a kid, then mm -hmm. that means it's successful. And um, and then I think there's this really, I'm kind of enamored with uh, the simplicity of a lot of children's games because it's mm -hmm. like, no, it really has to be super simple. Like <laughs> just rules and number, and very clear rules, you know? Yeah. That kind of stuff. So very interested to see if, if you do, I, I definitely check it out. You'll be the first to know. I. I I need to do it. it. It needs to happen. Um, and when I do it, we, we can, I'll come back on the show. We can talk about it then. <laughs> yeah. It, it totally seems like you have like this, uh, kind of like personality trait that's really conducive to like prototyping shit. Right. <laughs> like, 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 so when we talk to a bunch of people, mm -hmm. there is the common obstacle of, um like where do i start like where mm. like i i don't i don't even know what i'm doing i'm not an expert um i there's there's all sorts of reasons why not to i don't right, have time right i don't have all this thing but you seem like you i mean you, you have a ton of hobbies you have a ton of projects and so it's not just that you like design like a game for your kid you designed mm. a game with a hundred or so hours of 
yeah, like, yeah. like of, of development for your kid. Yeah, testing. <laughs> yeah. And so like when executing on it and somehow, okay. and what is okay. your, what is your comfort with like failure? What are your goals? Like, how, like, Lots yeah. yeah. Things about like prototyping and playing. Right. And they're just like, yeah. well, when do I put it in front of people or, you know, when, um, how, what's the fidelity need to be before I can, you know, play test <sighs> right. or all these kind of things. And I, I don't think it necessarily matters per se, but just to get your perspective. Sure. Sure. Um, so there's two books that I read, uh, God, a long time ago, like over 10 years ago. Uh, one of them was, uh, Jesse shells, uh, the, art of game design book of lenses um and then the other one was the game design workshop and I, I forget the name of the author for that one um apologies to the author it's a fantastic book it's just been a long time since i read it um both of those kind Tr of help tracy me. fullerton that's does sounds, that sound right that sounds right the book color the cover is kind of like a yellow blue green pastel colors yeah that's it. the game that's design it. workshop uh a play-centric approach to the crew uh to creative innovative games that sounds exactly like it yes awesome yeah fantastic book both of them are, are are truly excellent um and one thing that they both kind of underscore and i think this is reinforced by my experience as a developer which is this idea of like getting to the mvp as soon as possible yeah so um you want to get something in front of a user so you can start like immediately hitting the yeah. real world as fast as possible to get your bad ideas out get them out yes you're, you're saying as applies fail fast as applied to a game it's like we don't need to work out all the rules or the details mm -hmm. or those things but let's get this mechanic in front of yes. people you know i i have literally taken um uh, with the Malinger game, there was a it was a drafting mechanic in it initially for like drafting the void miners, and I, I took that aspect of it out and I made it into a module and I made it like basically a mini game that could be played in five ten minutes, and then I played that with several different people just to kind of feel it out. And I had like my whole I had a little journal that had like the notes on um, how each turn went, what choices everyone made, um, just to kind of get like a log for. Like, are there any outliers? So is it like any dominant strategies that are just too broken or anything that's never getting picked at all because it sucks? And, you know, I look for those things and then try to tweak them to balance them away from sucking and away from being too powerful because you mm -hmm. want to kind of get right. closer to the median, not exactly on the dot, but closer to it. Um, and then... Uh, just, you know, testing those mechanics kind of in isolation, like unit testing them, essentially. That's what it is, yeah. right? Just unit testing. Interesting. Um, for the for the folks who aren't um, engineers listening, uh, what's the 30 seconds on the unit test? Oh. <laughs> um, in programming, um, you have like a kind of an abstract concept, like, a, uh, I don't know, like, a user or something and a unit test would be a series of uh, defined expectations about the behaviors of that concept within your application so like a user can sign in a user has an email address a user has a password etc um, and some of the behaviors that a user is capable of doing they can they can decide whether or not the password is valid or sorry the phone number is valid whatever um so for mine it's not expectations in that sense like i'm not setting up like oh well in this configuration this the player should all end up within one point of each other it's not like that it's just trying it out kind of like you know shake the etch a sketch and then see what um like well, i guess sketch wipes right. it we shake it but you get the idea <laughs> <laughs> going back to what you said previously sure. you said to get to this medium or mm -hmm. sweet spot just to clarify in there, I think what you were speaking to was OP versus like what's what's the balance of strategy versus randomness? You know, yeah. it has to be a good interplay because if there's no strategy, then why does it matter? It's all random. Right. It's candy light. Right. But then if it's <laughs> yeah, exactly. all, it, it can be completely the other way. Then there's like, well, there's no randomness there's no potential to shake up the game you know so what's the yeah well so it's funny you mentioned Candyland again when I would play it with my son we played I mean I played it when I was a kid I remember and we had a copy of it when he was like two or three we would play it and I was like you're so much smarter than this game like like let's make this more fun <laughs> and so what we did was 
every time you go, you take two cards, you choose one for yourself, and then the other one goes to the other player. And, oh, uh, and you went ahead and played made an advanced mode. You're like, this yeah, is too simple. Yeah. We need an advanced well, mode. But, <laughs> but he figured it out instantly. You know, like he's like, yeah. oh well, if I take, I should take the one with two blue squares because that lets me go forward twice, and then I'll give the purple one to my mom. You know, and then she'll go forward this much. But sometimes it's like, you know, oh, one's purple and one's green. Well, I want this one because it lets me go little bit further mm-hmm. um it makes the game go a little faster i mean that's not the reason to do it the reason is the choice like of um, course you know, yeah. sid meyers always talks about like the a game a good game is a series of interesting choices and so mm. i think that you can make any of those like banal this is how we take turns kind of games interesting by just introducing yeah. any kind of player agency at all if you can get away from stochastic dice rolling and card drawing because the uh, candyland the game is predetermined when you shuffle the deck. The moment you shuffle the deck, the game is already decided. First player, you know, with a shuffle deck, the game's already over. You're just discovering who is wins. Yeah. Um, so introducing player agency adds uh, empowerment and interest. And you feel like the choices you make matter. So when you were playtesting... Mm-hmm. the rain thieves yeah. right so there's there's a difference oh between like a, a yeah. game that <laughs> e- e- even if there's like a lot of strategy involved there's a constraint yeah. like a finite amount of cards <laughs> right? right how how do you play test a tabletop rpg is- where you can have like murder hobos <laughs> or they can be all like the the, the paladin equivalent right, <laughs> right, or something. Right. what was your approach there how do you design for that all right so uh, oh my god, that's a complicated question too. It, it really so, is. So yeah, like maybe deal with it in like playtesting in the second part well, morality. <laughs> <laughs> well, so like I mean, the morality thing is um, that was actually easier to do because all I had to do was um, point out like, oh, okay, you're gonna be like a murder hobo and just do the work for the company. Well, guess what? Like you did this thing, and there's consequences. And like, you know, the the sample you took, like, oh, like the stuff around it is like starting to turn black and like, you know, it looks bad. And then, you know, you like you leave the room where the thing was and then people are starting to panic. And then all of a sudden, like there's people hunting you like the next day. Um, and so you like you keep um, as White always talks about raising stakes, you, you keep like ratcheting up the stakes and like ratcheting up the intensity so like the, the moral decisions are not hard to do because basically you just like find new ways to punish your players for being <laughs> shitty <laughs> totally we don't worry about morality we yeah. just have a, a tiered system of punishment with a steel you, curve you always <laughs> you always see those uh you always see those posts on like reddit where it's like oh my god my party is like killing all the villagers mm-hmm. like what do i do and for me like i'm i'm a grit and glory player mm-hmm. i'm like the answer is like the guard comes in and kills them yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. You know? <laughs> Cancer is death and imprisonment and yeah. injury. Yeah, and the, and the, being we, wanted by the king or like being cased until yeah. We, we specifically included like quite a bit of content um, that like if you do things that threaten their ability to survive, like they will try. They will see you as a threat and they will come. They will hunt you. And there are stat blocks for the NPCs that will come after you. Um, awesome. Yeah, and so that's definitely like a big part of it. And same thing with like the non-human xenofauna that are sapient. Like, there's specific things. Like, if you go murder hobo on them, this is what's going to happen to you. So, do you have a game studio, or do you have like a web portal that is like, hey, I'm a game designer, I'm a de- I, this, or or anything, or have you donned that moniker yet? I guess. Or <laughs> so, um, Stillfleet is officially developed by Stillfleet Studios, and I am I. I I guess like a member i i am the team's banshee i do all the tech stuff mm-hmm. um so i guess be like the equivalent of like cto or whatever i'm not a cto but that's what i would be robot factory was originally published under the name karmic egg um it was my my kid's mom and i were um 
she does like she designed some like tarot and lenormand decks uh, like did the art for them and everything and so we were kind of like she was publishing that stuff and i was publishing games and that was kind of the name we picked i guess i would use that i don't know i hadn't really thought okay. about this games is cool yeah, you know, yeah. like a cool little like logo for it and everything um it's cool yeah but it doesn't have a site or anything and i don't have like my own studio or or anything like that i did recently put a post on linkedin that says that i am a published author which is still surreal to me <laughs> um but i would say most of my content is on my polywork uh polywork.com slash armahillo uh and that's where all my like still fleet and art and music and everything else i have like i have too many hobbies i the problem the problem and maybe it's the benefit also is that anytime you know we would be like wife and i would be talking about the game and then it would be like oh yeah like oh i could i could write content for this i i could write this thing oh i'll make an application i would just peek, keep being like put me in coach like i want to do it i want to do more stuff and i have this like hunger to constantly just like create and do stuff and so your earlier question about like prototyping um i just i don't know man i just always want to just keep doing things and anytime i feel like i can probably contribute in some way i just want to do it because i enjoy that um and so i, I think like with prototyping that's sort of where that comes from is like oh like this is fun i'll i'll make a prototype that's what i'll do next still fleet uh best place to go is stillfleet.com um we're wrapping up the first kickstarter but the next kickstarter is coming out soon um we are doing a, a live stream i'm i'm gming um it's kind of a spy versus spy on a new setting called kadita it's a think like a east west berlin kind of setting um and i'm gming the group that is on the west berlin side it's the co side the, you know the you're the normal void miners and you're trying to do an assassination mm -hmm. the other group is the east berlin they're resisting and trying to protect stop the assassination from happening so we're on episode three which i think is airing in a few days um and then after that a couple days later will be my second session and then a week or so after that will be both groups together for the finale um there should be stuff on stillfleet.com about it if not i think they're on twitter with at stillfleet the stillfleet twitch is uh, twitch.tv slash stillfleet and i want to say the youtube is it's youtube.com slash at stillfleet <laughs> and you and you can find the the two broadcasted um episodes so far and then the next ones will be up there as well um uh, as for me personally um polywork.com slash armahillo is where i put most of my hobby stuff i do use instagram uh same username on instagram you can see my github if you want i have the the dnd command line tooling up there it's called gm assistant um that's kind of the was the prototype that led to the strings product the strings product is currently on a private repo um i'm the only developer so <laughs> uh and then uh yeah i think that's that's probably the main ways to get a hold of me um i'm armahillo pretty much everywhere you can see my shitty hot takes on reddit if you want i don't care <laughs> What's going on, everybody? My name is Alex. And my name is Diana. And we are two-fifths of Critically Stupid, a comedy Dungeons & Dragons podcast with new episodes every Friday on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. If I had to pick, I'd probably say my favorite NPC in the show is Sean the Gorilla, uh, who I decided in the moment wears pants, a waistcoat, and uh, spectacles. Diana, who's your favorite NPC in the show? Uh, my favorite character is uh, Captain Davil Starsong because... In my head, y'all, he's fine AF and makes me feel a certain way. If you'd like to experience Diana red-faced and sweaty in real time, catch us on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you enjoy that sweet, sweet content. You can catch updates on our Twitter, at CritStupid. Come watch me glisten. I love that this is going to be audio only, so listener, you're going to have to take my word on it. She's real good looking. <laughs>
you will roll dice even mm-hmm. if you roll one three times we're going to give you a different question we'll just count the d- difference okay. yeah. so but the questions are weird and random so awesome love it let's do it how do you want me to roll or like i don't have any have dice with me. if not we can do it i can do it online do it online do a d12 okay. all right one second i think it's like what dice roller um so you said you rolled a three i did what game should everyone play at least once oh i'm gonna go with either splendor or or camel cup i i i think i tim i i know we were talking about this earlier i think that camel cup is a fantastic game that anyone can appreciate and i think it's truly it's a good suggestion you suggested it to us and listeners on in season one and it's it is truly great and everyone i've played it with has bought it yeah because <laughs> they enjoyed it that much it's so. it's such a fantastic game and it's so accessible and it's very easy to explain to people too i found uh okay rolling i got an eight what is your dump stat? <laughs> <laughs> like me personally, like IRL? Yeah. You IRL, yeah. Oh, God. Probably, probably Constitution, I guess. <laughs> 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 like, I'm not, I'm not sickly, but like, God, like, like cardio is terrible. Or maybe strength. I don't know. I'm not terribly weak. Um,. Sorry, it's not. It's it's just. I, I I'm gonna go with con probably. Like I don't know, man. Like the amount of sugar that I eat, like can't possibly be good for me. Um, I literally like ate a giant bag of gummy bears this weekend. Like, oh, delicious! Yeah, like yeah. No regrets, I feel like but... Tim is literally like a tank. Like if we were in a party, like you know, he'd aggro everybody. But like I get really uncomfortable going for a walk. Like we were walking around Philadelphia, like in de- like December or thereabouts, and I was like, oh, my little legs are so tired. To be fair, it's so cold and it's so far everywhere. <laughs> I'm trying to improve, I guess, like make my con less of a dump stat, like I, you know, exercising more and stuff. But like, as long as it's not like three or four, like consumption level, or yeah, something right, like right, right. Yeah, I mean, it's it's probably like I don't know, like an eight or a ten or something. Like I get winded pretty easily, and like, I don't know, I don't want to go into my health issues, but <laughs> uh, two. A theater of the mind mm-hmm. or maps and miniatures. Oh, all right. If you if you would ask me this four years ago, four or five years ago, I, I would have totally said maps and minis. Um, I, I played a shit ton of third edition D and D, and like in second edition, you know, like you could only do so much with maps and minis, like you know it was okay but third edition really pushed the minis angle especially with all the like minis products um but i i don't know i i have come around on theater of the mind uh, dnd fifth edition does a great job with that they really done it done a good job with like balancing out the game and like keeping the focus on narrative play and um and still fleet you know one of the things i love about it is just it the rules are light enough that you resolve conflicts with quick dice rolls and then it gets back to the narrative. And so like everything is awesome. Like it's keeps things moving and um, the, the specifics on like exact distance that you would need for a tactical map, irrelevant. 
it's like it's you don't you don't get bogged down on that so encounters go a lot faster um, so yeah the theater of the mind i think in in my older years that's so right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, 11. What is your... Oh, we're speaking of D&D. &D. Mm -hmm. What is your alignment? IRL? Yeah. Uh, probably either chaotic neutral or chaotic good. But definitely chaotic. Yeah. Yeah, I, I am very much like... Uh, I don't want to say that I'm Machiavellian, but like it means to an end for sure. Like if, if something should be done, then like, I don't know. I don't like getting yeah. bogged down in protocol, um, which is it. funny because I also write rules for games, so which is all about protocol. <laughs> so a man of mystery, I suppose. Uh, seven. Seven. If you could make up uh -huh. any UX title to give yourself, what oh. would it be? Oh. Um, the first thing that popped in my head, and I don't know why, was UX Phantom, but like I, I don't, I don't have any further explanation other than that was the first thing that popped in my mind. So let's go with that. <laughs> it's like in the jungles of Brazil, one man is designing readable charts. <laughs> That's amazing. In a world where things were designed poorly. <laughs> yeah, my mind went right to Lord of Illusion. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, isn't that a horror movie or a book? I think, yeah. So, I think I so. yeah, it sounds familiar. Twelve. <laughs> uh, Twelve. What is the most usable game? Ooh. Um... Are we talking like any game or like a specific type of game? Not any. Why oh, I'm bad with superlatives. Um, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna hedge on most, but I'm gonna say the one that I'm thinking of right now, and maybe it's just because I mentioned it earlier. I I think Splendor has a lot of usability. I, I I love the fact that you have chits that you can like hold in your hand or like have in front of you. Um, mm -hmm. The cards themselves both express the point value of the card, but also have a little thingy across the top that shows the bonus that you would get from having it, as well as on the bottom, it shows the cost. Um, the only thing I think that could do differently is the amount of chips of each individual kind that you can take on a given turn. There's a specific rule about whether you can take one or two. Um, and that isn't apparent, but otherwise everything about the game feels like it is self-reinforcing. That's um, awesome. They're, I've had they're, that on my wish list for years. I literally just have not bought it yet. It's, it's I, I gold star recommendation. Um, there's a digital version you can get if you want to just kind of dip your toes in the digital version by Asmodee games is fantastic. It's a, a, a perfect um, the AI is actually really good. Um, great way to get a lot of practice games in so you can wreck your friends when you play it in person. <laughs> Speaking from experience. <laughs> um, there's probably other games that would have better UX. I'm sure like Reiner Kinesia has, uh, he's done some that are, I, I appreciate the user experience in his games that he makes. Um, he has some great stuff. Um, I've definitely played a lot of Euro games that I think have bad UX, though. <laughs> I, I think Go that almost on. comes with the territory. <laughs> oh, man. I, I don't even remember the names of them. I, I have a friend who has a, a game review YouTube channel, and we, we would, like, when she lived in the area, we would play games together. And so I got to play a lot of playtest games. I'll say something very controversial, and we mm -hmm. can totally edit oh, this do out. It, do it. I thought like the first version and now i know just um here two or three years ago mm -hmm. they did a whole overhaul of it mm -hmm. and the overhaul is amazing and i've heard great things and the ratings are better i like the concept but the original game was horrid galaxy okay. trucker oh interesting i haven't played that 
galaxy trucker like the idea of like hey you're a space trucker and you're building your ship super quick and mm-hmm. storing your cargo and you're going over across the universe and then you're going to get hit by comets and attacked by space pirates and like all this other stuff mm-hmm. and then whatever cargo you get there with is how much payload money you get out and then that's to build your next ship and to go on and it just the instructions were bad the graphics were kind of bad uh, you know and it was just there was a lot of people going online and like well how does this mechanic work Uh, ten. Ten. What is your reaction when you hear UI slash UX? Oh. Um. <laughs> We're just gonna have like a like a like a cut of like everyone this season just going like oh, oh, oh. For real though. Oh man. Um. I, I mean, first of all, like I. I mean, I I am of the camp of people that knows that they're not the same thing. Um, I mean, they're closely (laughs) related, sure. Um, But, like, you can have a UX without a UI. Um, I... I, uh, Usually, I think my reaction is usually uh, internally eye-rolling and then just ignoring the fact that they said that and then interpreting it in whatever way I want to interpret it. Or like yeah. using context <laughs> to be like, okay, I know what you're actually asking here. I'm just going to, I'm going to speak, I'm going to correct you in my response implicitly, but whatever. Um, Perfect. I, I think usually when people say UI, UX, they usually mean one or the other. Um, it's like when people yeah. say like, yeah, yeah. like web design or web developer or full stack like oh god full stack developers don't even get me started on that one um i I think everything in tech uh people who don't work in tech need to stop talking about tech and making up their own words (laughs) that's my hot take (laughs) no i love it (laughs) okay uh i rolled a five A new attack, do you use strength or dexterity? And we were talking IRL. Yeah, yeah. So IRL. Um, so I have uh, I have some background in jujitsu and kung fu and bagua shang. Um, and so it's kind of a mixture of like... It's probably like both, right? It's, it's a <laughs> little bit of both. And I, I, I feel like I'm yeah. wussing out on the answer there by saying, oh, I use both. But I, I mean, use my it's... <laughs> Yeah, I, I think it's it's a bit more like feeling it out and um, yeah. like trying to intelligently apply. I think I use like my int maybe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. wisdom or something. I like, like it's that. Like no. a, a secondary. It's like a neither. Secondary yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I, I mean, I'm not slow. I, I'm, I think I'm as fast as I am strong, for better or worse. Yeah. Um, so I, sparring is fun as heck, though. <laughs> one uh, what is your favorite design tool Ooh, index cards yeah uh full stop yeah like i i have stacks upon stacks of index cards and anytime i'm prototyping something um especially for games i think well, okay well if we mean design tool like for designing a game index cards for sure um index cards for some other design things if we're talking uh, like art, like digital design, then um, I have a Wacom tablet with uh, Photoshop, and I like to use oh, yeah. those to do like digital art and things. Um, that was such a game changer like, yeah. to get a newer Wacom. Three more left. What is your favorite? Describe your favorite dice. Uh, what do you mean? So parenthetically, parenthetically, we have like, do you like D4s? Do you like metal? Like dice? Oh, like, okay. You okay. think of dice? Like any quality spark, at all. What sparks joy? Okay. <laughs> so a long time ago, um, uh, in, when I lived in another state, I was, 
I went to Gen Con one year and I got certified as a DCI level one judge for Magic Gathering. And so I would do, um, I would be the judge at our stores, local stores, FNM and other Magic tournaments, uh, which was a lot of fun. Super great. If you like Magic, it's a, a lot of fun to do that. Assuming they still have that program around. I don't know if they do. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but the store had a solid metal D20, which we would use for any kind of random thing like for random prize give outs or whatever this thing was like i i mean it was it was a weapon uh, it was probably about like that big oh, uh, like awesome. lar- larger than a golf ball um and it was i want to say solid steel it was some kind of very dense metal um but that was like i think my favorite the favorite dice i've ever had the uh the pleasure to hold um i will say don't roll it on a glass display case <laughs> oh my god yeah bad things can happen <laughs> uh i rolled a one again so what is your color mode rgb hexadecimal rgba pantone cmyk da, da, da. um i'm gonna go with rgba because transparency yeah yeah <laughs> That was the correct choice. Yeah. I I mean, I fully respect pa- the Pantone and CMYK. Um, that's kind of not my, yeah, like, I'll, I'll work with you, but that's not my scene. Um, I'm digital, digital boy. But RGBA, for sure. Um, I got to have that transparency wear. <laughs> Two. What game is a, your guilty pleasure oh um like any game at all yeah oh man guilty though you gotta feel guilty about it oh all right let me think about this it's hard for me because like i don't really feel shame i'm just like yeah yeah. it's like a throwaway answer but i was gonna say like skyrim or something but i don't really feel guilty about it it's just like i feel guilty maybe about the amount of hours i've put into the game which is a lot hundreds it's an um, amazing game, though. Like you can yeah. do anything. Like and yeah. the whole, like the mods, like change it every every time. As the listeners may know, last year, you know, for, we were doing a Patreon, and if you supported us on Patreon, you got the episodes ad-free and early, which was cool. Anyone who's been like listening with us from season one and who will enjoy season three know that we are iterating a lot. And one of the big things we're iterating on is like what we're spending time on. There's mm-hmm. probably like a whole interesting episode or like side thing about like why we chose to back off Patreon, but we backed off Patreon. We would love it if people would donate to us. Please head over there and support us if you like. We're going to put some content and stuff there, but it's not going to be exclusive. Previously on Design Thinking LARPing. Rapid Protobot may have been designed as a prototyping robot, but in this moment it has become much more a leader, a hero, and a friend to us all. The LARPers haven't restored power after they pretended to make a dragon attack. Uh, It's probably not safe to start a fire here, uh, but we must eat. I hope Rapid Protobot is okay. Design Thinking LARPing is a story about heroism. The script is written by a poorly trained AI, and it is performed by your poorly trained heroes. Enjoy!
I'm sure he's... Hey, little guy, what are you doing here? Oh, he brought us something. Playtest. Prototype. Playtest. Destroy. What is this? It's, it's the LARPer's rules? Oh my god. Oh, they're so unbalanced. What are we supposed to do? Hey, I get it. We can use this against them. We can metagame. No! You must. Hear me out. We can study their rules, find their weaknesses, and exploit them. We can turn their own game against them. But we're not even LARPers. How are we supposed to win against them? We'll have to think outside the box. We'll need to use our knowledge of the real world to our advantage. Prototype. Analysis. Strategize. Exactly. We'll analyze the playstyle and uh, create a counter strategy. All right. I'm in. Let's do this. This is it. The final battle. Find out in the next episode of Design Thinking Games the fate of our heroes, Tim, Michael, and, of course, Rapid Protobot. The most delightful of the three. Are you sure we're ready for this? This story continues. Thank you for listening and connecting with Design Thinking Games on TikTok, Twitch, and Twitter. You can also check out designthinkinggames.com to request topics, ask questions, or see what else is going on. Until next time, game on. Any final thoughts for our listeners, Rapid Protobot?